Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Good afternoon, good evening, and thank you for joining Jesus Christ Ministries Global. We're grateful for your presence here with us on tonight. We're not at the library tonight, uh, but uh, we are still on talk show, and it is a, a great Thursday, and it is a, it is a joy to be here on this evening. Well, last Thursday, we began looking at the various gifts given by the Holy Spirit for work in the body of Christ, of the Church of Jesus Christ. We discussed specifically the apostle, which is apo, if you remember, meaning um, from, and stelo, or stelo, if you will, S-T-E-L-L-O, meaning to send. Uh, hence, an apostle is one that is sent from. So tonight I want to look at the next gift mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, and we'll read that here in just a moment. Um, but I'm going to start out by reading, I was devotional, if you will, by reading First um, Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, chap- I mean, First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. That is First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And you'll find these words written. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Oh, have your way, Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For one, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another the work of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and it reads, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Let us pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, I greet you this evening in the holy and righteous name of Jesus Christ. God, have your way in this in this teaching on tonight. Lord, take me out of the way. In fact, I remove myself in order that the presence of your Holy Spirit may be here on tonight and that he will teach us your word, Lord God. As the psalmist hungered for your word, Lord God, I hunger for your word. And we who have gathered here on this call on tonight for the teachings of your Holy Spirit gather to hear, and that we may receive and grow stronger, Lord God, in your word and in our walk with Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. So, Holy Spirit, you are in charge, and your servant humbles himself before your mighty hand. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Prophets were comprised of men and women. Well, we had prophets and we had prophetesses. Every prophetic book in the Bible bears the names of men. 
But who were the women prophetesses? I I was curious about that, and so I did uh, some research. And this is what I found um, in the book of the Bible. These are the following women that are mentioned as prophetesses. Miriam. You can turn to Exodus, if you will, chapter 15. Exodus, chapter 15. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15 and verse 20. Chapter 15 of Exodus, verse 20. And you'll find these words. Uh, Miriam, then Miriam the prophetess. So we see here that Miriam is a prophet, a prophetess. So that's our first prophetess. Then Judges chapter 4, verse 4. Judges chapter 4, verse 4. Turn there, if you will, please, to Judges, chapter 4, verse 4. I just want to highlight, and I don't want to go into too many too many details, but I just want to point out the prophetesses of the Old Testament and the New Testament, for that matter. Deborah, number 4, Judges, chapter 4, verse 4, you see Deborah. And Deborah, it says, now Deborah, a prophetess, prophetess, the wife of Lapidus was judging Israel at that time. So we see not only uh, was she a prophetess, but she was a judge, which means she was a ruler. And so she ruled over all of Israel at that time as a judge. That's powerful. We, we hear so much about women are not supposed to be in positions of authority or leadership over men. Yet, if I'm, unless I'm incorrect, Deborah, the prophetess, I judged all Israel. That's powerful. And so, um, and then next is Huldah, 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 14. Huldah, 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 2. Go there, if you will, please. Huldah, 14, I'm sorry, verse 14. Huldah, uh, verse 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 14. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbar, Shaphan, and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. So we see here that Huldah was a prophetess. Now the question I have about Huldah is, why is it that these men, these priests, or this priest and these other four men went to her? Well, if you go back to chapter, go back to the beginning of the very chapter, chapter 22, and look at verse 1, we see that Josiah is eight years old, and he is, he has become the king of, of Israel, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. We see now that um, he and she, as we go on now, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit here. Um, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I, uh, verse 8 says, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan, the art described, went to the king, bringing the king's word, the word, the word, saying, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And now it happened when the king, verse 13, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes, then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Akbar, the son of Micaiah, uh, Shaphan, the scribe, and a 
Messiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And that's the reason why uh, these five men uh, made their journey to see uh, Huldah, the prophetess, because they needed an answer. And what I love about this is that when they arrived um, and and spoke to her, uh, she said, and, and they say, and they spoke with her, and then verse 15 says, then she said to them, then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against his inhabitants that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring to, on this place. So they brought back the word to the king. So you see here that, she, and we'll talk about foretelling and foretelling, two types of prophets, the foretelling and foretelling a little bit later on down the road. And perhaps we'll come back to Huldah. But then the next one is um, Neodiah. Neodiah. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, that's the next prophet. Turn with, go to Nehemiah. Chapter 6, verse 14. Nehemiah, chapter 6, verse 14. And we'll see there is a prophetess there. My God, says verse uh, 14, my God, remember Toah, Tobiah rather, and Sanballat according to these, their works. And the prophetess, Neodiah, and the rest of the prophets, who would have made me afraid? Well, we see here that this Noadiah was not a very pleasant uh, prophetess. She was one that Jeremiah was very leery of and had wanted nothing whatsoever to do with her. So he was very careful around her. Uh, indeed, it might be uh, we might be able to even conclude that he had some fear of her because she was a wicked woman. And then we have... Um, next one we have Isaiah's wife. She was a prophetess. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. Turn there with me, if you will, please. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. And it reads, Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Meharshalal Hashbaz. And that is, for before the child shall have knowledge, of my, of knowledge to cry my father, my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. So we see that Isaiah's wife was a prophetess. And if we turn our attention to the New Testament, we find that there is another prophetess uh, or several other prophetesses 
in even the New Testament. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 2, verse 36. That's in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Turn there, if you will, Luke chapter 2, verse 36. And most of you are familiar with Anna. We know that Anna was married for seven years, and then she was widowed, and then she ministered before the Lord fourscore, I believe it was fourscore and four, four years, I believe. I will find. I will look that up very quickly here. Yeah. So here it says that now there was a one Anna, verse thirty-six, a prophetess, the, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great of a great age, and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. Uh, that speaks volumes right there. And this woman was a widow about 34 years. Yeah, I was right, 84 years, four, four, eight, four years, so 84 years. So that puts her seven years of marriage and 84 years widowed. That makes her at least 91. And so when she was married, she was well over 100 years of age. So this woman, who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. Wow. So we see that Anna was a prophetess. And then, of course, Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, where we see Philip, one of the seven. That means one of the um, seven that the apostles laid their hands on to take care of those on the ministration of the widows and, and those who are hungry within the church. And you're probably familiar with that. And so it says here, let me go there, uh, Acts chapter 21, verse, verses 8 and 9. Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. And this is what you find. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist. He was a preacher. He preached the word, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Verse 9, now this man, meaning Philip, had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So we see here they were prophetesses. So this man had four daughters, and each of them prophesied. What an awesome thing. Now, when we think about prophetic, when we think about the prophets of the Bible, of course we have, we have more prophets than we, than we have um, prophets, uh, than we have books written uh, by prophets that God moved on. For example, there are 16 prophetic books in the Old Testament. There are four major prophets, and there, is 12, there are 12 minor prophets. Now, the four major prophets are major prophets because they wrote more extensively than the minor prophets. Uh, and so that is the distinction. And then, of course, we have the book of Revelation in the New Testament, which is a prophetic book written by John the Beloved, the Apostle John the one who laid his bosom upon the head of the Lord, the one whom the Lord loved. Not that he did not love them all, he did love them all. And he, and he does not stop loving us. So that's before uh, the, the 16 Old Testament and the one New Testament prophet. What, when we think about prophet, I think there are, there are four, there are three Hebrew words used for prophet. They are Nabi, N-A-B-I, Nabi, N-A-B-I, and Roe, Roe, which is R-O, apostrophe, E-H, Roe, and then Jose, and that is H-O-Z-E-H. Now, Nabi is from a root word or the origin of a word meaning to bubble forth as from a fountain, hence to utter. Uh, and if you take a look at Psalm 45 and 1, you, you'll, you'll see what I mean. Psalm 45, the 45th number of the psalm, 
and verse 1. And it says that my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. So it's a bubbling over of a desire, you know, of, of uh, uttering the word of God. This is my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And that's one of the things that the prophet, so that's what a prophet does. The prophet bubbles over, he utters the word of God as God has given it to him or as he has seen it. Now, the Hebrew word for is, is the first and most generally used for a prophet, the word nabi. Now, in, and that's N-A-B-I. Now, in the time of Samuel, another Hebrew word was used, and it's R-O-A, and it's spelled R-O apostrophe E-H. And that word for prophet means seer, and it is seer. And that began to be used in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9. That is 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9. Now, if you have your Bibles, go there. It's 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9. And we will we we will see that um, this first use of it is uh, of uh, referring to a prophet as a seer is first seen here in First Samuel chapter nine verse nine, uh, and so it says here: formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus: "Come, let us go to the seer." For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. And that is what the word says. So we see that roe, or seer, began to be used in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9. It is used seven times in reference to Samuel. So within, well, so within time, another word, Jose, which is spelled H O. Z-E-H, H-O-Z-E-H. And that word, Jose, is means seer. And you will find that particular uh, word, seer, again in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 11. That is 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 11. Seer is used there as well. But it, in this particular case, it is pronounced Jose. Uh, and you find Second Samuel chapter twenty-four, verse eleven, and it says, "Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, and then verse eleven, saying, Go tell David, thus says the Lord, I will offer you three things: choose one of the four, choose one of." Choose one of them, rather, for yourself, that I may do it to you. And, of course, so this is something, this is, um, and we'll talk about this word. It's a foretelling and a foretelling, uh, the two types of prophecy. And I will get with, I will deal with those a little bit later in our teaching on the prophets here on tonight. But I want to just put that in your mind so that you can have that fresh in your mind when we get to that point. And so we see that um Jose is a seer and is seer and use and then in First Chronicles chapter twenty nine, verse twenty nine, all three of these words are used. Um, uh, turn there, First uh, Chronicles chapter twenty nine, verse twenty nine. We're still in the Old Testament. First Chronicles, Chronicles rather, chapter twenty nine, verse twenty nine. And we'll see that all three of these, all three of these. Um, Hebrew words are used in uh, when we're still referring to prophet here now, so don't get confused. First uh, Chronicles chapter 29, verse 29. We'll see here. Here we go. Verse 29. It says this. Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, and that is Nabi. Well, well excuse me, that is Roe. I'm sorry, R-O apostrophe E-H, R-O-A. That is the seer. And then in the book of Nathan, the prophet, 
and we see that as Nabi, N-A-B-I, Nabi, when we talk about Nathan. And then in the book of Gad, the seer, and there we are talking about Jose, H-O-Z-E-H. And so we see that we have all three of these words right here in this 29th chapter and 29th verse of First Chronicles. So Samuel, Roe, Nathan, Nabi, and Gad, Jose. So in Joshua, turn to Joshua chapter 13, verse 22. That is Joshua chapter 13, verse 22. Joshua 13, verse 22. And Joshua is found right after Deuteronomy in your Old Testament Bible, which, of course, the Jewish people don't consider it an Old Testament at all. We Protestants and Catholics refer to it as the Old Testament. Uh, So Joshua chapter 13, verse 22. And you'll find these words concerning, um, uh, we call them diviners or false prophets. Here's Here's what the Lord says. The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. Um, And so we see here that Balaam is called um, a diviner. That word is kosim, kosam, rather. And that's pronounced, that is spelled K-O-S-E-M, kosam, kosim. And that is the word for diviner. Or it is another word. It is a word that is also used for a, only for a false prophet. And so kosim, K-O-S-E-M, a kosim is a diviner or a false prophet. And so, yeah, you, you notice that anytime you have something good, there's always going to be something evil that wants to come in and mimic that which is good to cause confusion and frustration in the lives of people. And so you need to be aware of that. And that's why you always need to be prayerful about everything that you do. I will use one more term for the title of prophet as used by Moses, and that is man of God. Well, I may not use just that one. I'm going to use a couple more. Uh, there you refer to Moses, for example, um, uh, uses the word man of God. And you'll find that in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1. Turn there with you, if you will, please. Deuteronomy, that's Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1. Deuteronomy 33 and 1. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1. Now this is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. The man of God is another term used for prophet. Now the Shunammite woman, if you may, I'm not know if you're familiar with the Shunammite woman in Shunam and Elisha, but there was a but Elisha was a prophet of God. He was the one that got a double portion of of the anointing because he saw Elijah, his master, taken up in a chariot of fire, and Elijah tossed down his mantle to Elisha, and then of course the spirit of the Lord came upon Elisha and gave him a double portion of anointing. And you'll find that in Second Kings chapter four, verse nine, where Elisha himself is referred to by the Shunammite woman as a man of God. Elisha. Turn, if you will, now to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 9. That is 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 9. And I'm just loving this. So I tell you, this is some very, very uh, interesting uh, information that I am learning here about the Word of God. I mean, you think you know so much, and yet you find you know very little because the Lord revealed as he sees fit 
and I and I would hazard to guess, or I would say that the revelation comes um, in line with our capacity to receive and understand and appreciate what it is that God is saying in His Word. So the man of God, Elisha, we're talking about Elisha. Now, Second Kings chapter four, verse nine. In the words of the Lord said, and she, meaning the Shunammite woman, to say unto her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. So we see now that even the Shunammite woman can recognize that Elisha was a representative, a servant of the Most High God, the true and living God. There's only one. He is not the God of um, confusion, and he is not the God of hatred and bitterness that um, so many around the globe have uh, deemed him to be. And then, of course, God will refer to his own prophet as my servant. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 3, uh, 13, rather. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 13. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 13. The Lord himself, God our creator himself, testified. He is the one that uses the word my servant uh, in, in reference to his prophets. I love this, uh, and it behooves us to learn as much as we can about the Bible because the more that we learn, the better, the more we the grow, the stronger we become, and the more knowledgeable we become in the Lord, the more confident we grow in our walk with the Lord. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer. Even God refers to them as seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the, that all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you, my servants, the prophets. So even here, God refers to the prophets as my servants. And, and I love it because it gives us different insights into God and how he views those who uh, whom he has called for a particular time. And every believer is a servant of God through Christ. And every believer should be submitted as his, his or her will, should have already submitted his or her will to the Father, to being obedient to his word. And then, of course, prophets were also referred to as his or your servants. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 23, we'll see that uh, the prophets, you just turn over a few pages or, or a page or just turn, look down uh, at your book there, just a few verses down, and you'll see verse 23, where it says, Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So, if he, and so we see here that even referring to his prophets as his servants, uh, and you'll also find that they are referred to uh, in Second Kings chapter twenty-one verse ten. Go there with me. Second Kings chapter twenty-one verse ten. Chapter 21, verse 10, 2 Kings. And he says, 2 Kings, chapter 21, verse 10. And the Lord spake to his servant, the prophet. So again, we see that we're talking about servant. And then scroll over a couple of more verses to 24, chapter 24, and uh, verse 2. Chapter 24, verse 2. When you have it, say, I have it. If you don't have it, say, wait up. But uh, 2 Kings, chapter 24, verse 2. And it says this. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. 
and he sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant, the prophet. So here again, we see that God uses the word servant a number of times. Now turn to Ezra chapter 9, if you will, verse 11. That is Ezra. That's, we're still in the Old Testament. Ezra chapter 9, verse 11. Ezra chapter 9, verse 11. And that's right before Nehemiah. Oh, I love it. Ezra chapter 9, verse 11. <clears throat> How else does the Lord refer to his servants, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets? There we see again, he's using the word servant and referring to, uh, and then, of course, using the, the phrase your servant, meaning that he belongs to no one else. He is God and God alone, which you have commanded your servants, the prophets. Anytime a person in the Old Testament, saw the prophets of God. They knew that they were God, and so they put their trust in them because the word of God had manifested according, or so, many, so many times according to true prophets of God. Uh, I'm loving this. And then, of course, you'll find it again, and we won't, have to, we won't turn there, but you'll find it again in Jeremiah chapter. Is it, am I looking at the clock right? It's five, six minutes after seven. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Uh, great goodness. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 25. Boy, I thought it was just 640-something. No, uh, it was after 7. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm all up in this, I guess. Then. Now, the <laughs> individual first referred to as a prophet, the Hebrew word nabi, that's N-A-B-I, the first person to be referred to as a prophet in the Old Testament was Abraham. You'll find that in Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. Of course, we know that's the first book, Genesis meaning the beginning. Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. We're talking about Abraham, and you've got to love it. And Abraham... Journey from there. If you have it, I'll wait up. I'm going to slow down a little bit. I'm just a little excited here. So Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. We're talking about Abraham. The Lord specifically called him a prophet. And if you go back and you begin at the beginning of this chapter, you'll see that um, Abraham and Sarah talked. And, uh, well, uh, she was his sister, but she was not his mother's daughter. So that means that Pira, his father, had more than one wife because she was born from another, of another woman and not Abraham's wife, though she were, was because they had the same father, his sister. And so he told Abimelech that because they did not want to die. You go back to first twenty chapter 19 and you'll see it. Uh, but the Lord visited Abimelech and he gave him the 411, the who you know what, you know, told him you better, you took her, you, you, you good, you better be glad you didn't touch her. And uh, and so he says, but I had all in good intentions. My, I was, you know, I was, I'm a very, you know, I, I acted with integrity. I didn't do anything wrong. I, he told me it was her, she was his sister. Well, she, God says she is also his wife. And so God played him, gave him a dream, a vision that night, and he, it troubled him so much that he woke up and he, well, he blessed, and God told him, hey, you know, pray, talk to him, God says pray for him. God told him that asked, he said that Abraham would pray for him. Uh, and when he did, nobody in the kingdom of Abimelech could have children because God closed up uh, the lady's womb so that they could not conceive. And only after Abraham prayed for them, for, for him, Abimelech did 
all the ladies, were all the ladies again able to conceive and bear children. So this was very powerful. Uh, you'll find that in verse um, uh, 17. So, so Abram prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and the female servants. Then, then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And so uh, you just got to be careful when you're messing with children of God because, see, God will deal with you in a way that you don't expect. And if you think that you're larger than life and that you can get away with anything, well, I'm going to tell you right now, don't touch the Lord's anointed nor do his prophets any harm. And when you do that, you, you end up in trouble. may not happen right away, but you'll know it because you'll, you'll, be, you'll be dealt with most severely. And then, of course, you'll see it again. You don't have to turn that. I'm not going to turn that. Well, I will turn that. Psalm 105, verse 15. That is Psalm 105, verse 15. That's the name of the Lord. Psalm 105, verse 15. Uh, 105, verse 15. And I just, I just quoted it to you. He says, uh, he says, do not touch my anointed one and do my prophet no harm. There's a consequence for messing with the children of God, the servants of God. My, but the normal use of the term prophet comes to prominence in the life and person of Moses, who was the standard by which future comparisons would be made. Prophets. All prophets will be compared to Moses. So Moses was the mold, if you will. He was the prototype. He was the first one that uh, where the word prophet came into prominence among the people. Uh, if you would turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. Deuteronomy. Chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. That's the fifth book of the law of Moses. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. And we talk about the term prophet comes to prominence in the life and person of Moses, who was the standard by which all future comparisons would be made. All prophets would be measured by that of Moses. And you'll find these words, the Lord your God, this is Moses talking to the children of Israel as they're preparing to enter into the promised land. Moses is standing on the mountain, and he cannot enter into the promised land, or he will die where he is. But after having spoken to the children of Israel, he went up on the mountain, and that was it for him. Now, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. And notice that word is capitalized. There is there are many prophets, but there is only one prophet uh, that he's referring to here, and we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what that word prophet is referring to there. Like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall, and we, call, we know that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, and he was an Israelite. He was a Jewish man, uh, but he was also God. Uh, and so, uh, and according to all, verse 16, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore. And, of course, they're talking about Mount Horeb, and you'll find that in Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20. So, but when it refers to the fire, the great fire, you can take a look at Exodus chapter 19. Uh, and it's, it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome sight when you read it. Uh, this great fire anymore, lest I die. Verse 17. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet. There again, we're talking about the one true prophet, Jesus Christ. Neither of us were not prophets because they were like you from among your brethren, and you and will put my words in his mouth, and the word his is capitalized, his mouth, and he, speaking of Jesus, 
shall speak to him, to them all that I command him. And it shall be that what that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But since then there has but since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Oh, I love it. So every feature which characterized the true prophet of the Lord is the classic tradition in the classical tradition of Old Testament prophecy was first found in Moses. Everybody else was a pattern, if you will, of Moses. Um, So how did Moses become a prophet? Well, his was a specific and a personal call from God, and every prophet is called of God. No prophet takes upon himself that role. He has to be called by God. Thus, for one to be a true prophet, he or she has to be called again by God. Turn, if you will, to Exodus chapter 3. If you go to Exodus chapter 3, verses verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 17, uh, you will see it. But turn to verse uh, Exodus chapter 3, and we're just going to look at verse 11 real quick here. Exodus chapter, that's the second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. And this is this is good because I want to. I, it's really really good. And maybe I should just go through it all. But listen. But Moses said to God, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt?" So he said, "I certainly, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign that I have sent you." And a prophet then is sent by God, just like an apostle is one who is sent. A prophet exists for the sole purpose of going to do what God has called him to him or her to do, to preach, to tell, to teach the word of God, to declare the word of God, uh, uh, to warn, um, and to encourage. So when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you, you shall serve God on this mountain. Um, but then Moses goes through all of this stuff here. And, and, I, and as I was reading, I was saying, wow, this is really good. This is really good. Because I stopped and I said, well, God called Moses. He called Moses when Moses on, on Mount, on Mount uh, Horeb when he was looking for uh, some sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. And he was tending, we were tending to his father-in-law's sheep. And he saw this bush burning and he wanted to, and it caught his attention and he went there. And that's when God began to speak to him, and God says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. And that's what that verse 11 is. He says, uh, let me go back to that verse 11, because that's why it's so important. He says that, but uh, who am I that I should go uh, to Pharaoh, that I should go bring the children of Israel out of out of Egypt? But God says, I have surely seen, verse, I'm backing up here, so please bear with me. I'm backing up to verse 7, and the Lord is talking to Moses, and he's telling him, that he understands, he sees the pain and the suffering and the sorrow of the children of Israel. So he has come down, and this is the point now where he's ready to deliver them out of Egypt. If you want to, if you want to put this into better context, God made a covenant with Moses back in Genesis chapter 15. When you get some time, go back there and read Genesis chapter 15, and then you'll see that God, because God said that His His servant, His 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 uh, that Moses is. Uh, um, um, I'm sorry, Abraham's uh, offspring would be in a foreign land and they will be mistreated. They will be enslaved over for, for 400 years. And we know that in, in um, Exodus, I believe it is, chapter 14, that we find that the children of Israel have been in bondage 430 years by the time the Lord delivered them out of uh, Egyptian bondage. So Genesis chapter 15, you read that and you'll find, you'll see what, the backdrop to this right here, what God is, why God says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And then verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to, the, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites 
and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, see the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, he said. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now. This is where it is, verse 10. Come now. He called Moses, and he says, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, of uh, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And that's why Moses says, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Well, God told him that. I've chosen you, and I want you to go. And then when it's all over and said and done, you're going to come back to this mountain. And sure enough, that's where Exodus chapter uh, Exodus chapter 19, you'll find them right back at that mountain again. Uh, and uh, it, it's awesome. It's really awesome, mountain of God. Of God. Um, Lord, I, I just, I'm, I hope I'm not getting off on a tangent. Hopefully you're learning something here. Um, but there's so much. Uh, and Moses, he made all kinds of excuses in that fourth chapter, but suppose they will not believe me, meaning the children of Israel. And he goes on, and then he says, well, you know, I can't speak that well. I'm not a, a man of good speech, excellent speech. Um, <laughs> so uh, go, to, go to Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Because I, I really want to just give you some. We're talking about Moses being called as a prophet. And a prophet speaks. Um, if not only does a, a prophet foretell, that's F-O-R-T-H-T-E-L-L, but a prophet also foretells, F-O-R-E-T-E-L-L. And so I want to get to that, but um, and maybe I should get to that here and right after I finish talking about this right here. Um I have to find it in my notes here. But notice how Moses then answered and said to God, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to me, to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And listen, But when you see all of that, when God is talking to Moses, you see the patience of God. You see the patience of God, and, and, and I tell you, I am so grateful that God is so patient because if he were not patient, I would have been a distant memory by now in the minds of everybody that used to know me. And most people, I am a distant memory because we don't relate to one another anymore. I don't know where everybody is any longer, but the point I'm making is that God is a patient God and that he loves us enough to be patient with us, uh, and I love what the... Uh, the psalmist writes in that 103rd Psalm and that 14th verse, I believe it is, he says, the Lord knows our frame that we are but dust. So he's patient with us. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out and his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, so that they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to Moses in verse 6, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. And he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out from his bosom, and behold, his hand, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if, you, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign, that is, the leprosy. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the ground. And the water which you, have take, which you take from the river will become blood on the dry ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And so by this time, the God, God is getting a little peeved. He is getting really peeved here. So, so the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? 
or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, and the, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O oh Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. And that's when the Lord really began to just, his patience is starting to just really wear thin with Moses. Now, Moses, if you remember, Moses killed an Egyptian, and so Moses is trying to find every excuse in the world not to go back because he's scared. He's scared that if he goes back, memory is long and that he will be killed for what for killing the, for killing the Egyptian. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against God, and God always has another way of dealing with us when we, when we are stubborn and we just don't want to do something. And Moses, he said, he said to Moses this, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When you see him, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the sign. Don't miss this. You might, you might not have seen this, but I want to, I want to pick up on this right here because I, I saw this today as I was studying, and I said, oh, this is powerful. God, sent, God was sending Moses to Pharaoh, and, and he was to speak the word of God, uh, to Pharaoh, and just as God instructed him to. But Moses made an excuse, so God sent in um, Aaron. And now listen, God says to, says to Moses, you will sp- I'm going to give you the words, you're going to speak the words to Aaron, and then Aaron is going to speak the words for you. And essentially, if Moses had just gone and spoken the word of God the way God told him to, then God would, then Moses would have been speaking directly for God. But since he did not want to do that, he sent Aaron, and so Aaron now would be the one to speak for Moses. But Moses would speak, God would speak directly to Moses, and Moses would speak directly to Aaron, and Aaron would speak directly to, to Pharaoh. And this is beautiful because now Moses becomes, Moses then takes the place of God and then Aaron, therefore, takes the place of Moses, the prophet. Although he's not referred, Aaron is not referred to as a prophet, Moses is the prophet because the word of God is being spoken to Moses, and then Moses speaks the word to Aaron. So Moses now becomes God to Aaron, and Aaron becomes the prophet to Moses, or the prophet to God, if you will. I hope that's not too confusing. What Moses was supposed to do, Aaron is now doing. What, what God was going to do through Moses, uh, Moses is now speaking to uh, Aaron, and now Aaron is and has become the prophet in this sense, and God and Moses has become like God to him. So I don't know if you catch that. Can you catch? Can you see that? Or is that confusing? I guess it's confusing. I hope somebody can hear me. I I hear you. I'm just I'm just. Uh... That's uh, you know, over going going over it in my mind. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, in other words, Moses was supposed to be the one to speak directly from God, and so there would be no in between. But now Moses is the one that God is speaking to. But Moses then tells Aaron what God said to say, and so now Aaron is the one that is speaking. But he's speaking uh, for Moses because God says, I will make Moses, or you tell Moses what to say, and then Moses, and then you tell Aaron what to say, and then Aaron would say it. And so, and, and I just saw this, and it just, and it just caught my attention, and I just said, wow, this is good. There's a role reversal. Now Moses is becoming like God because now Moses is the one speaking the word to Aaron. And Aaron is becoming like Moses as, as Moses was supposed to be, and that is the prophet. And so now he is, so Moses, so Aaron is speaking the word of God to the people and to Pharaoh. And I just love it. I love it. Um, 
So Moses has, been, Moses has become like God, and Aaron has become like Moses the prophet. So Moses, so Aaron is speaking in, in Moses' stead, in other words. Moses is kind of, Aaron is kind of like the proxy, if you will, for Moses, standing in for Moses, because he was saying he could not speak well. Anyway, um, it's already 729. Boy, time just really flew. I haven't even gotten to, um, I haven't really gotten to everything that I wanted to get to today, but there's a lot on prophecy on the prophets, and I even dealt with, I want to deal with prophets, and then I want to deal with prophecy, and uh, I want to talk about some basic understandings in the prophetic books, uh, and then the basic principles of interpreting, uh, and also uh, principles of interpreting, uh, foretelling and foretelling. It is really interesting, uh, as I get more and more into the Word of God, and I see uh, learning so much here, and I love to pass it by, pass it on. The point is, we're talking about getting to know the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, Lord have mercy. It is the Holy Spirit that enables, endows people to be able to do the things they do, to speak the word of God. No man, let's turn to Second Peter, if you will, chapter 1. And then I'm going to finish right there, Second Peter, chapter 1. Because this is so important for you to, to know this. And, and uh, see this, I hope I'm finding the right verse here. Uh, let's see here. Let's go here. Yes, yes. Here's what Peter says. I'm going to go back to Second Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse uh, 16 because I want to take this in context. He says, for we, for... And the word for is giving strength and validity to what came before it. In other words, the, the, the first uh, 15 verses, the word for supports this, and this is how it supports it. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. And what he is talking about is the mountain of transfiguration. You'll find that in Matthew chapter, um, you'll find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But you'll find it in Matthew chapter 17, on the mountain of transfiguration, you'll find that in Matthew chapter 17, uh, and then you'll also find it in Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. So uh, mountain of transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, Mark chapter 9, and Luke chapter 9. And it is a really beautiful reading. You'll see that the Lord is transformed into, and I was praying yesterday, it was, I was on my knees praying, and that just came to me about how he was so bright that he, his clothes were brighter than Fuller's soap. In other words, there's nothing on earth could have made them as white as they were. They were so bright. Anyway, that's what he's referring to, the mountain of transfiguration. And then let me verse 19. He says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises. We're talking about Jesus Christ in your hearts. Know this, and this is where I want to get to concerning prophecy. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament that is the motivator, the auctioner, the mover, the guider, the guide, the, the speaker of the Word of God. He is the overseer of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that speaks. Remember, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all gifts are from the Holy Spirit. 
and he is the one that operates in every gift. Without the Holy Spirit, you would not be able to know God the way God, the way that we know we are learning about God. The Holy Spirit then, if you look at a car, for example, the reason a car is able to, you get able to turn it on and go anywhere in it is because it has an engine. The Holy Spirit is the engine that moves the word of God, that opens up the word of God, that reveals the word of God to us. So he's not only the one that calls you, uh, in, in, but he is also the one that moves you in your gifts. You know, I don't know what your gifts are, but I do know that you have a gift and that when you seek the Lord, he will be able to reveal that to you. Uh, are there any? I thank you all for joining me tonight. I, I praise God for each and every one of you. Uh, and I'm not at the library. I'm at home, so you won't hear the, the, uh, the, the loudspeaker. Uh, which is good because I'm five minutes over my time. I'm sorry about that. Maybe it's the comfort of being at home, being able to speak. But um, are there any questions so far? No, I don't have any. Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad that uh, hopefully it was clear enough for you, especially that Moses thing. But think about that a little bit. Now, just do some comparison. Go back and you look at the scripture and you see that God was telling Moses to go and speak to the people and to Pharaoh, uh, but Moses didn't want to do it because he said he claimed he couldn't speak well, uh, and he was, and therefore that made him unqualified to be able to go and say anything on God's behalf. He was the prophet. He was the one God called to be a prophet, uh, and when God called him to go speak for him, speak these words. Not only, I guess you can look at Moses. Uh, the one that was sent, you can see that he wasn't, and there was no apostles in the new, in the Old Testament. But I guess if you if you look at it, in a sense, he was an apostle because God called him and God sent him forward to to say, uh, and then to speak. Uh, and so the the prophet speaks, and we talk about foretelling, and we talk about foretelling, and I want to deal with that next week. Uh, so thank you all, thank you for joining tonight, uh, and uh, I'm I'm. Uh, Again, I'm at home. Uh, are there any prayer requests? For me, as always. Okay. Yeah, I pray for you on, on this morning. Thank um, you. And I uh, continue to pray for you because I know that you're hurting, and I know that um, it's tough, and, and I, my heart goes out to you. And I'm so grateful that I have the privilege to pray for you. It is indeed a privilege and an honor to pray for you uh, because I know that prayer helps and God answers prayers when we pray on behalf of others uh, for comfort and for strength and in areas of weakness and pain and hurt and for healing. So please hang in there and uh, know that uh, the Lord loves you and he hears the prayers and He's moving on your behalf. Somebody, Julie told me nobody else is on the call. Let me just hang up here so I don't record, stop recording here. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.